0: On R2C2, CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco guide listeners through everything going on in the MLB, NBA, and NFL. They also talk to friends, athletes, and celebrities about the world of sports and much more. Check out R2C2 with CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg help com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com.
0: This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide When to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com.
1: Coming up on New York, New York, the Knicks are alive and well. Game three coming up down in Hotlanta. We got you covered. Ian Bagley of Sny is going to join us. We'll get you ready for what is going to be a badass weekend of sports. All the baseball. Mets taking on the Braves, the Yankees. Their injury concerns, their lineup, can't hit a lick. They split a double dip with the Blue Jays. Tons of listener voicemails. Art the Caesar, one of the head oddsmakers from the Link Casino, is going to join us. So, some hoops, some baseball, little puck, little beaks. My kind of weekend, my kind of show. New York, New York, presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. It's coming up next. All righty, let's roll, baby. Welcome in episode 24. That's right, we are still keeping count. Of course we're keeping count. Episode 24, New York, New York, with yours truly, J.J. Jastrzemski right here on the Ringer Podcast Network, and I'm still riding the high. I'm riding the high from the Knicks evening up the series, being dead to rights, down double digits midway through the third quarter, storming back, feeding off the garden frenzy, Derek Rose, Reggie Bullock, even Obi Toppin getting involved with the party. And yeah, my mood, my vibe is drastically different than what it would have been if Atlanta was up 2-0 in this series. If Atlanta was up 2-0 in this series, let's call it like it is, this series would be cooked. This series would be over. Because these teams, they're evenly matched to a point Atlanta's a more talented team Knicks were not going to go and and rattle off four out of five wins from that standpoint. Just wasn't going to happen. They needed game two. And even on a night when Julius Randle took forever to get going, even on a night where R.J. Barrett was hot early and did nothing basically after the first quarter, next man up for the Knickerbockers. Rose, Bullock, Toppin won them game two. But now as you look ahead to Game 3, and this is where Simmons and I and Fantasy and I couldn't disagree more. I think the Atlanta crowd is a whole lot to do about nothing. I'm sorry. Atlanta is a fraudulent sports city from a fan standpoint. It just is. They don't pack their building. They don't for baseball. Basketball, anytime I watch the Knicks there, the 30% of the building is Knicks fans. 30%. And I expect that to be the case. Friday and Sunday. I think Knicks fans are gonna be everywhere. Down at what is it, Phillips Arena? That will not be a rocking Atlanta crowd. Mark my words when I say this. It will not be a rock in Atlanta crowd. The bigger issue for the Knicks is not playing on the road. It's how are they gonna neutralize and slow down Trey Young? They haven't done that yet in the series. Even in game two, they didn't exactly walk down Young where it was the difference in the game. Young's rear end was on the bench. McMillan took forever to put him back in the game. And the three-point shooters, Bajanovic, Gallinari, Collins, they basically gave Atlanta nothing. Here's the fear when you go on the road. And Yubi Brown talks about this all the time. And I subscribe to this theory. It's not mine. I can't take credit for it. I'm not that smart. There's only so much you can do with a Syracuse education. It is what it is. But UB's theory always has been players three through eight in the NBA playoffs play better at home. I've always subscribed to that theory. Maybe that makes me a little old school. I love UB. We got to have UB on the podcast at some point because that guy is like a basketball encyclopedia. It doesn't matter how many games he may do. I learned something new from UB Brown every single time I listen to him. I hope he's doing one of these Nick games. I don't know the... uh, playoff schedule yet. Somebody's going to have to let me know who's doing the games. I hope Brini's doing the games. Brini and Doris, Brini and whoever, I'm in. But Yubi Brown is great. I love that man. My fear with Atlanta is that three through eight, you're going to get better contributions at home. And that means the Knicks big players have to come up big if you're going to get a split in one of these two games. And that's what it boils down to. Can the Knicks go down the Atlanta? Friday, Sunday, get one. Simple as that. Get one. If the Knicks are coming back to Madison Square Garden 2-2, they did their job. And then it's winner take all, game five, rocking and rolling. That's the hope. That's the game plan. Can they slow down Trey Young? Can they limit Atlanta from bombing away from three? Slow down the pace. Play defense, do a job. Got to get a split. This series is 3-1. Hawks coming back to the garden. Don't see the Knicks winning three straight. Split, you're exactly where you need to be. Can the Knicks find a way to get one, two chances to do it? My money is on yes. Series price, which we'll get to in a little bit. Atlanta's favored. I think they were minus 130 to start the series. They're minus 150 now to win the series. Minus 150. And I believe at last look, Atlanta was a four-point favorite in game number three. Now, listen, we'll see what FanDuel has. We want the official FanDuel line, of course. FanDuel, of course, right on the money. Minus four. Atlanta, minus four. We'll have a pick on that. We'll have some thoughts on that a little bit later on in the show. But the goal for the Knicks is a simple one. Get a split. As for the Nets... Wrap this series up quickly. I don't want to mess around. I don't want to run the risk of an injury. I don't want to fool around and have to play an additional game knowing the wars and the battles that are ahead with Milwaukee or Philadelphia or whoever's coming out of the West. You don't want to play extra playoff games if you don't have to. So that's my message for Brooklyn. They're winning this series. The question is, are they winning this series in four games or five games? I mean, and I'm not exactly going out on a major limb by saying that. So I'm sure for many of you listening to the podcast, you're like, yeah, thank you, Captain Obvious. Thank you, jackass. I know the Nets are going to win this series. They're going to win this series. You want to limit the amount of games that you're going to play. Why play games unnecessarily if you don't have to? Wrap it up quickly. For the Knicks, get the game. For Brooklyn. Avoiding playing some games. That's where we're at with the two local teams. Memorial Day weekend, both local teams playing in the NBA playoffs. It's juicy stuff, baby. Juicy, juicy stuff. Now, let's get to the baseball from today. We had two doubleheaders for both New York teams. I can't tell you the last time. I'm sure somebody at the Elias Sports Bureau can bring this to my attention. I'm sure one of you guys or gals is going to tweet this my way or send it to me on Twitter, and that's fine. I have no idea when the Yankees and the Mets both had a day where they each had a doubleheader. But for the Yankees, the story is twofold. They are struggling mightily with the Toronto Blue Jays. They have lost every single series they've played to Toronto. It's hard to figure out because Toronto came into this series reeling. The Yankees came into this series red hot. So I guess something had to give. The Yankee bats, for the most part here, have been MIA. MIA. Thankfully, after getting two hit in game one and not having one measly runner in scoring position, they showed you little life in game two with a doubleheader. And the Yankee lineup normally should light up a left-handed starting pitcher. And basically, this game changed. They were down two runs. Aaron Judge was given a 3-0 green light and hit it off the plexiglass in dead center field. Give Aaron Boone credit for trusting his player and saying, hey, I got to get something going. I got to have one of my better hitters in a situation where it can hit a bomb. And that's exactly what Aaron Judge did. And it basically sparked the Yankees in this game. Sanchez. He's been very streaky this year. I mean, the batting average stinks. At least he's hitting the ball out of the ballpark. That's a big home run. You don't want to get swept here in this series. Sanchez took an outside pitch, golfed it, hit it 440 feet. It was an absolute missile left center field. And that home run ended up being the difference in the game. They packed on another run late, sacrificed five from Aaron Judge, and the Yankees split this doubleheader against the Blue Jays. Not ideal. You don't want to lose two out of three but you gladly take a 4-2 homestand against two of the better teams in the American League, the White Sox and the Blue Jays. Now, I think the more troubling sign for the Yankees, aside from their lack of offense, the injuries that all of a sudden have creeped up and have came the Yankees' way over the last week. 24 hours ago, you get news that Corey Kluber is going to be out at least eight weeks. That's a blow to the Yankee rotation. Cooper has been a beast. Cooper, a week ago, threw a no hitter. I'm not looking to draw the direct correlation in a no hitter being the end result of why Corey Cooper's on the injured list. I think that's lame. I think that's lazy. I-, I just think that's irresponsible to try to speculate in that way. I really do. It's not like Cooper threw 125 pitches. Here's the more overarching theme. Corey Cooper's missed a lot of time in the last two years. That's just real talk. He's missed a lot of time. You're going to miss time over two years. You have to expect it's going to happen at some point in 2021. The same shoulder that he hurt, which is troubling. I figured at some point, though, Cooper was going to end up on the injured list. He wasn't going to throw 210 innings. Next man up in the Yankee rotation. And that means David Garcia, who has not pitched well in AAA, He's going to get an opportunity against the Tigers this weekend. Don't suck. That would be my advice. Because you know what? If Garcia stinks two or three times through, they'll try King. They'll try somebody else. So Cooper's injury, no bueno. Then you get to Luke Voigt. And I got to be honest, I like Luke Voigt personally. I like his attitude. I like his persona. I think he's a cool dude. I like the fact that he kind of wears his emotions on his sleeve. But I'll tell you what's driving me insane. Two of the last three years, the guy can't stay on the field. He missed the first, basically, month and change of this year. He comes back for, what, three weeks? Didn't really hit, and now has the oblique? Listen, I've said it countless times. The Yankees need a left-handed hitting first baseman. That's something they're probably going to have to address in the offseason, but with Voit going down once again, they need to get more left-handed. They gave Florio a shot today in the double dip. I'd keep him up here. Hicks is done for the year. To me, that's no great loss. He's done absolutely nothing this year. He wasn't very good last year. I'm not losing any sleep over the idea that Aaron, uh, Aaron Hicks, excuse me, is out for the year. I'm just not. I would give Foreal a chance to play a little bit because Gardner clearly cannot play every day. He's a fourth outfielder. That's what he is for this team. I'd let Foreal play a little bit, but I know come July, I need at least one or two Legitimate bats. If it's Peralta, if it's Benintendi, if it's help at first base, for the time being, I think Omeyu's going to play first. I think Odor and Wade are going to play second. And that's going to be your lineup. And I want to see more Van Duhar who is hitting for this team. Guys who are hitting for this team have a role because they're not doing much of it. But no Cooper for a while. No Voight for a while. And now the Yankees go to Detroit this weekend. That is a god-awful team. Cole's in one of the games. Minimum go into two out of three. Minimum. Then you get to the Mets. And listen, the Mets, you look at their lineup. They just made a trade for Billy McKinney, who's down at AAA somewhere. He comes to the Mets. They're basically batting them third in the batting order because the Mets, they have no idea who they're running out there with all of the injuries. It is insane the amount of injuries they have had. You know what has helped them dramatically, though? They pitch. Now, I know the Rockies stink, and they're a bad baseball team. Herman Marquez is an outstanding pitcher. For you to win a game with a Jose Peraza home run, six shutout from Strowman, Diaz doing his thing in the ninth inning, take it. Take it. Then you win another game, 4-2, to where basically the Mets are going with an opener. You know, they're going with Joey Lucchese, for three and two thirds. And they're trying to basically piece this game together. You look at the lineup. McKinney. Mabin. Peraza. Mazika. I mean this lineup is awful. It is awful. And when Dora is doing jack you know what. I mean when Dora is still under the Mendoza line. And has an OPS that's under six. With all that being said. The Mets right now. At 24 and 20. First place. In the National League East. Five up on Atlanta in the loss column, two and a half up on the Braves, and that's why this series against Colorado was big to me. Because you're playing the Braves now, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You know the Braves are going to be ticked off after what happened down in Atlanta at SunTrust a couple weeks ago. If the Mets won two out of three in this series, I'd be very impressed, very, very, very impressed. All night games. Walker on Friday. Peterson on Saturday, and I think DeGrom on Sunday. Wow, DeGrom and Morton on Sunday. That's a hell of a matchup. Hell of a matchup. Mets win two out of three this weekend. I'm impressed. But they did what they needed to do against a terrible Colorado Rockies team. I don't know how they're doing it. Don't apologize. Take the wins and move on. So we got a loaded rest of the show. But before we get to my dude, my friend, my colleague, all apply, all the above for Ian Begley over at Sny, but a voicemail right out of the gate, Sarudi, who's on a horn. Who do we got?
2: JJ, Cleo, in Brooklyn here. Uh, big fan of you from your days at WFAN. I was at games one and two, and the crowd just had so much juice. I know part of it's built up from the, the playoff drought, from the you know the how much we love this team and the way they play and the spirit, but. It just felt like it had a little more juice. And I'm asking, I know playoff rivalries, NBA rivalries, aren't built over one series. But do you think, you know, with the Hawks having potential, they're young, they're going to be in the playoffs a lot, they're probably going to be some one that we're going to have to get back. Do you think there's potential that this becomes an actual rivalry? Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Keep up the great work.
1: Appreciate it, Quill. We got a long way to go, dude, before I'm kind of looking at the Knicks and the Hawks as a rivalry. For starters, let's see how the rest of this series plays out. Let's see if there is lingering bad blood as the years go on. Premature to put like Knicks Hawks now is the rivalry of the Eastern Conference. Uh, I'm not there yet. I think this is going to be a fun and entertaining series. I think this is the series around one, and I know I'm biased and I understand I'm a, a New Yorker through and through. I get that. This is the series around one, it's competitive. You got a good vibe. You got a good buzz. There's the intrigue of Trey Young playing in the postseason for the first time. Rivalry, though, I'm cooling the Jets on that. Coming up next, my main man, Ian Bagley.
3: This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices ratings and amenities side by side so start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the hotels.com app
1: so with the knicks now even one apiece getting ready for a pivotal game three down in atlanta i thought it'd be the perfect time to welcome in my old pal from sny i miss shooting the breeze with him in the newsroom. But now I get a chance to see him and talk a little Nick basketball, the great NBA insider from the putback. He's a man of many talents. Ian Bagley. What up, Ian?
3: JJ, what's up, brother? So good to be with you at your new home, my friend.
1: Ian, it is a new home, but it's the same conversations that we have had, my friend, for a long, long time. So welcome to New York, New York. And... You've been around this team a long time, and you know Nick fans have been waiting for a winner for forever. Did you get the sense that was the loudest Madison Square Garden has been in a long, long time, my man?
3: Had to be up there, J.J. I mean, we're talking about maybe the Insanity days, that Laker game, the building was so loud, then maybe the 2013 playoffs. But, you know, the other night and really this week, had to be way up there, given all the circumstances, given everything that everyone's dealt with, in the months and the year plus before that game. I mean, the building was rocking and and it should be.
1: You look at game two, the Knicks look dead to rights, two quarters, two and a half quarters into this game. Randall's not playing well. They're not shooting the ball well. I thought Derrick Rose saved their bacon. If Derrick Rose doesn't give you the contributions that he was able to give this team, getting in a rack, hitting shots, I think they're down 20 plus points in this game. Did you ever see this coming with Rose? Like when they made the trade, my biggest fear was, is this taken away from Emmanuel quickly? Learned immediately. Clearly that's not the case. Rose playing like this, Ian, I think that in many ways is what's taken his team from being like a cute story, a nice story, maybe a team that's in the plan to a team that's playing in the 4-5. Do you look at him as that pivotal important piece? Because I do.
3: 100% JJ I mean look at what he's done for them late in games not even just the playoffs but even the regular season he's come up as a big time fourth quarter scorer for this team and you know you mentioned Emmanuel quickly I know a lot of Nick fans were concerned about that but he's come in here and he's been a veteran leader for these young guys Obi Toppin, top and quickly and others and so he's played that role off the court and then on the court. He's giving them production night in and night out. When he's on the floor, they're a different team. And so, to me, there's no doubt that that acquisition really changed the tenor of this Knicks season. I agree with you. I think they would be, maybe their season would be over if they didn't have Derek Rose and they didn't get him when they did because he's been fantastic.
1: It's pretty crazy. This is his second stint, though, with the Knicks. It's rare in that you see a guy have a bad first stint. Not necessarily Rose as a player, but... The triangle offense. It was just that that team was a total shitshow those couple of years. I'm not going to put it any other way. Going AWOL. Oh, he goes AWOL. Yeah. And now you see him this second time around. He's a completely different dude. When Derrick Rose was here the first time around, was there a lasting image you had in covering him at that particular time?
3: You know what, JJ? It's funny. He's a different player on the court, but to me, he seems like the same guy when you're talking to him. He's just so approachable, super down to earth, really nice guy. So that to me hasn't changed, but you look at his game and, it, and it's so different. The one thing that I, I will always remember uh, with Derek in that first stint was the Knicks wanted him to shoot threes so much. They really wanted him to let it go from beyond the arc. He just wasn't comfortable yet shooting as much as they wanted him to. So we would talk to him about it. We would talk to Jeff Hornacek about it. And now you fast forward to 2021, Derek Rose is knocking down three-point shots. So he's just changed the way he approaches the game. And he's still just showing you how talented he is as a basketball player. He's not jumping out of the gym anymore, but he's still finding ways to get it done. And it's just, it's been fun to watch.
1: Ian, much of the year, the talk around Ob Toppin has been bust. And you hear Nick fans Maybe make the point, what could have been with Halliburton? Mm-hmm. Randall emerges. He doesn't play a whole lot. But in the first two games of this series, I- I'd make the argument, this is as good as Obi Toppin has been at any point this year. I mean, he gave the Knicks unbelievable minutes in game two, defensively, flying up and down the court. His mom's going nuts in the crowd. Do you look at the remainder of this series? the amount of minutes that Randall has played, the wear and tear on his body. Am I crazy to say that if you're Tom Thibodeau, maybe giving Obi Toppin a little bit more burn is something you should consider? I don't know
3: if he should get more minutes, JJ, but I don't know, I don't think the Knicks would be at 1-1 without his minutes because we know how off Randall had been through the first six quarters of this series and the Knicks had Obi Toppin in there and he produced. So it wasn't like, all right, we'll put him out for three, four minutes just to get Julius Randle a breather, which is kind of what it looked like at some points throughout the regular season. He was in there, he was producing, so they probably felt a lot more comfortable resting Julius Randle, giving him a chance to collect himself. And then Randle comes out and plays pretty well in the second half of game two. But really, without that production from Moby Toppin, I think we're looking at uh, a different series.
1: Yeah, I thought Randall definitely was far more at ease in the second half of the game. And to me, it kind of felt like he was allowing the game to come to him. But make no mistake, if this team is going to win this series, and I picked them to win the series, Ian, I might be invested in them financially to win this (laughs) series. Emotionally, all that combined into one. They're not doing so without Julius Randle. Because Atlanta, to me, is a more talented team. They clearly have the best player on the floor in Young. So your concern level with Randall, one being the lowest, 10 being the highest, where are you at right now going into game three?
3: You know what, if I'm the Knicks, I'm probably at a, a five. I'm probably at a five or a four. And the reason I say that for two reasons. One, Julius Randall, when he was in Atlanta for the All-Star break, obviously you're away for a couple of days. It's a crazy trip because of COVID, but he was away from the rhythm of the season, practice, play a game, practice, play a game. And so the first game he came back, he was not good. He was not good. And he said, I'm always bad the first game after the All Star break. So I think part of that is maybe this long layoff uh, for the Knicks. It was a week long layoff before game one. And then also, you saw Tom Thibodeau talk about it last night. He felt that Randall was starting to read the game much better as he went along game two. And so if that's the case, I think that will continue to trend in that direction. So I wouldn't be super worried about him because you saw what the Hawks were doing, right? They were kind of having Clint Capella shadow. Randall not come over and send a hard double team but just be in the area and so I think Randall started to find ways to exploit that and he found teammates for threes for open threes in the second half so I think things started to to trend in the right direction that's why I wouldn't be super concerned about Randall if I was the Knicks
1: I get a ton of calls from Nick fans furious about Alfred Payton. He has become the ultimate whipping boy yeah. for this fan base. And yeah. he's basically, you know, a glorified high school senior. The great Danny Ladigan made that point to me via text. And he's a thousand percent right. You know, like on senior day, it's basically like, all right, he plays a couple of minutes and then he's out of the game. And yeah. that's why for me, and I don't really get that wrapped up in the idea of him starting. Because if it's going to be like the other night, where you know, okay, second half, Derrick Rose or Emmanuel quickly is going to be out there. I'm not losing much sleep over it. Does it bother you?
3: Well, the thing that I don't understand is, you know, all year long, Tom Thibodeau has said, we're going with the players who give us the best chance to win. And you can't make that claim about Alfred Payton right now. I mean, just these short stints that he's had during this series, but also the 20 games leading up to the playoffs, it just hadn't been playing well. And so... I don't know what the answer is. I don't think it's as simple as starting Derrick Rose because you saw how many minutes Rose played in game two, 39 minutes. Of, and
1: I like him coming off the bench because yeah. he gives him a spark. You know, if things aren't going well on offense, they put Rose in the game, kind of settles everything down, you know?
3: He definitely settles down the gym. And so what do you do? Do you go Frank Ntilikina? I don't know if the coaching staff trusts him as a lead ball handler like that. Do you go Alec Burks? Then that, you know, changes that the dynamic of your rotations. There's no easy answer, but... It just, starting Peyton and playing him for four minutes or eight minutes, it just seems to contradict what Thibodeau has said all year, which is we're going to play the players that give us the best
1: chance to win. Knicks are going to win this series. Randall aside, that's a given. He has to play well if they're going to win. Give me an X factor to watch for in these two road games. What needs to happen in your eyes if the Knicks are going to be victorious and find their way to the Philadelphia 76ers?
3: I think it's Reggie Bullock. You know, on both ends of the floor, really, because he's been such a key defensive presence for them. And so I think whether he's guarding Bogdanovich, no matter who he's defending, they need him to defend well and they need him to knock shots down. And you saw him do it in game two. He was fantastic. It seems like there's like a symbiotic relationship a little bit between Julius Randle and Reggie Bullock because Julius will create space for Reggie to shoot it. And so if Reggie's going well, that usually means good things for the Knicks. That's why I look at him as an X-factor. Also, the lineups, I mean, we'll see what Tom Thibodeau does in Game 3. I'd be surprised if Alfred Payton started Game 3, but uh, that to me is a big factor too.
1: When was the moment for you, and you've been around this team a long, long time, when you sat there and said to yourself, maybe it was preseason, maybe it was 20 games into the year, maybe it was the Cooper game at the end of the year, where Ian Begley sat there, maybe he's getting ready for his SNY hit and said, holy smokes, the Knicks are a little (laughs) bit better than I thought.
3: You know what, JJ? I'm a cynic, man. So I, I kept waiting you for the other You and me both, bro,
1: especially drop. with this franchise, like, yeah. man. I mean, somebody was giving me all sorts of heat saying JJ is such a hater, blah, blah, blah. I go, listen, I'd love to be sipping positivity. They've beaten me down, bro. They've taken a lot out of me. You know?
3: <laughs> yeah, you've seen how the movie ends too many times to, to be optimistic. But you know, I think for me, the team showed like in January throughout that month and February, a couple instances where they survived, you know, some rough stretches. They lost a few games and then they kind of bounced back. And so at that point I was like, all right, this is a a characteristic, the resiliency that we haven't seen from Nick teams in the past. And then they lost, I think five out of six after the break. And then they reeled off nine in a row. And at that point I said, okay, this team is for real because they're not, you know, they're going to take a punch and they're going to come back and they're not going to wilt in the face of adversity. And to me, that's such a big thing for a team, particularly, this market, this, this franchise, because of the history involved and how negative people can turn once things start to slide a little bit, these guys, it didn't bother them. So that's I think that's when I started to say, all right, this is, this is legit. This is a, a real thing, and, and this team's going to go to the playoffs.
1: Final one, and you don't got to waste much time on the Nets and the Celtics because we know the Nets are winning this series. It's a yeah. question of four or five games. Looking down the road, Milwaukee, Philadelphia. Tougher series, tougher matchup for Brooklyn. Who's that team, Ian?
3: I'm going to go Philly because I look at Joel Embiid and I look at the Nets front line and I think, how do you match up with him? I mean, how do you slow him down? Do you give DeAndre Jordan minutes? He's been out of the rotation against Boston. Uh, Do you go Nick Claxton? Like, what do you do to slow him down? So I go there. And also with Philly, because of how good they are defensively, you know, I think, that's one team that if anybody's going to slow down the nets, which I don't think anybody really can, but I think the Sixers have the best shot at bothering them. And so that's why I think Philly is a tough out. There'll be a tough matchup for them if we get there. I think it'll be a fun series. I think Brooklyn will take it, but I think we'll get some competitive basketball.
1: And am I giddy in a week and the Knicks win in this series? Or am <laughs> I uh, drowning in my sorrows? It's house money either way, bro. But am <laughs> I giddy cashing that ticket plus 195 after the game one loss? Ian Bagley, you tell me.
3: Look, I want you to make money. I want your bank account to grow. So
1: uh, I, I, think you're preaching positivity. There we go. The will. cynic is turning over a new leaf. How <laughs> about that?
3: Oh, <laughs> uh, I think yeah, six or seven. They'll take it because I think Julius Randle will play better, and so I think your your bank account, you know, that bottom line is going to increase for you. Uh, maybe in a couple of weeks. So we'll there you go. Happy.
1: I can buy a little bit more Spotify stock. I like the sound of that. Ian, <laughs> thank you so much for doing this, bro. Don't be a stranger to New York, New York, my man. You know, you're welcome anytime. So you know where to find me, okay? Hey,
3: big fan of the show,
1: JJ. Couldn't be happier for you. Love what you're doing. And always great to be with you. That is NBA Insider for SNY, the host of the digital show, The Putback, which is just badass on SNY. My dude, the great Ian Begley. We got voicemails coming up. We got poised for game three with the Knicks and the Hawks. It's the Nets and the Celtics. It's a wild Memorial Day weekend. We're cooking. New York, New York, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network.
0: This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. So I'm fired up for some
1: listener voicemails. I'm also fired up for this weekend. Mix Hawks, other assorted NBA playoff games. You got the Islanders in Boston. How about the weekend in Boston for the forgotten basketball and hockey team of New York City? The Nets taking on the Celtics. Next couple of nights, the Islanders taking on the Bruins next couple of nights. So the forgotten teams of the hardwood and the ice. Maybe getting some clam chowder along the way. I know I would. Maybe a little lobster roll. I'd be hitting the bars up at Fenway. I don't think they have the luxury to do so. But that's the weekend. Yanks, Tigers, Braves, Mets. That's a fun series. Fun series. So all in all, listen, the weather's going to be shitty. Might as well have some good sports to watch. Voicemail time. Let's get it going with a bang. Who's up? What's up, JJ? This is... What's up?
4: Jesus Christ, my voice is gone. I was... I'm sorry, JJ. This is Jason from West New York. I was at the Knicks game yesterday. My voice is shot. Let's go. Go, New York! Go, New York! Go! Go, New York! Go, New York! Go! That garden was so fucking electric last night. Best game I've ever been to. My voice is still gone. I'm still hyped up. Let's go, Knicks, baby. Love the podcast. Been loving you since the fans.
1: Let's go, Knicks. I love you, Jason. I want to be vibing with you to go, New York, go, New York, go. And I don't know if anybody saw outside of Madison Square Garden right after the game. You would have thought that the Knicks had just won a Eastern Conference. I mean, I get it. It's been eight years. And people have been trapped in their houses for seven, eight months. They want to party a little bit. They want to let off some steam. That's why I'm going to let it slide. That was crazy. I don't know if anybody saw any of those videos outside of Madison Square Garden, and I have felt serious FOMO. Serious, serious FOMO watching the first two games of this series. And if it wasn't for all of the obligations I got cooking right now, I I feel like for sure I'd be in a game. But, you know, I got to be able to talk to you guys. That's kind of the challenge more than anything else. Got to take care of you folks. That's what I'm all about. Man of the people. Man of the people. Who's up next? JJ, it's uh, Anthony and Syosset. Uh, listen, I heard your
4: locker room uh, with Simmons. Uh, very good. Wanted to just mention something you guys were talking about the home crowd in Atlanta. Keep in mind one thing. There has been now, probably 15 to 20 years and counting, a huge migration of transplanted New Yorkers that have moved to the South,
5: specifically
4: the Atlanta, I mean, the North Carolina, but the Atlanta, Georgia area as well. And you see it when the Knicks go down there. Uh, you can see it sometimes with the Mets and the Braves or, or when one of the New York teams goes to play the Falcons. I'm not saying that the Knicks fan will take over down at Atlanta, but there will be a good amount of Knicks fans. It will not be the same home court advantage for the, the Hawks that, that you saw at the Garden uh, for these last two games. And I, I don't think there will be fuck Trey Young chance you know, from, from the Knicks fans that either are making the trip or that are transplanted down there. But I'm telling you now, there will be a section of Knicks fans. Hopefully, it will be significant enough. And I would sign for a split right now, back at the Garden, Game 5 next week, 2-2. Two, two. Uh, enjoy your weekend, Golf Jay, uh, and we'll talk soon.
1: Always great hearing from my old pal, my golf buddy, Anthony and Insayaset, who unfortunately didn't get a chance to see me the other day at Liberty National. On the 11th hole, after a 120-yard shank on the par three, chip in from 50-plus yards in the fescue, the shot of my life. And you know what's a miracle? I had the club up in the air, celebrating like Mickelson when he chipped in. I'm running down the hill full speed. How I didn't, like, fall and blow out my knee, I mean, is a great million-dollar question. But you missed that, Anthony and Syosset. And to do it at Liberty National makes it that much sweeter. I mean, oh, baby, what a golf course. And I'll be out there in August when the FedEx Cup goes to Liberty. Oh, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. You nailed something, though, when it comes to the Hawk home crowd or lack thereof. Anybody who thinks the Atlanta crowd is going to come anywhere close to what you had at Madison Square Garden in game one or in game two is just not paying attention and does not understand the dynamic that you've had in that town for a long, long time. Nick fans flock to Atlanta. They do any time they play. The Knicks have played the Hawks in the playoffs. They've played the Hawks in the regular season. There will be, mark my words when I say this, tons of Hawks fans. Yes, but there are going to be a lot of Nick fans too. whole lot of Nick fans. Yeah, I don't know if you're going to hear Trey Young balding chance. But I don't expect that to be a hostile home court environment. I don't. The bigger issue for the Knicks, slowing down Young, getting Randall going, and neutralizing the three-point shooting of Atlanta, which cannot go off now with guys three through eight. Can't happen. Who's up next? Hey, John.
5: It's Marty from New York. Uh, I... I don't think anyone's giving Todd Gibson uh, the due he deserves. I think he's been, other than Rose, the most important player uh, on the Knicks since in the first two games. And uh, I think that he's very, uh, very important for this team. Uh, that's it. Bye.
1: I don't disagree with that. And it comes full circle for Todd Gibson. And this storyline's been getting a lot of attention. He's a Brooklyn guy. Grew up in Fort Greene. Always wanted to be a New York Knicks. Going back to his days with the Chicago Bulls, he was saying to members of the media that he and Tom Thibodeau talked about what New York City and what the New York Knicks meant to each of them. So I love the idea that you got a New Yorker through and through. He's wearing a Yankee hat. You notice that after the games when he's talking to the press. Playing for the Knicks, playing his ass off, reuniting with Derrick Rose. Really, really cool story. I always liked Derrick Rose and Taj Gibson a ton when they were Chicago Bulls. Because that team played with chutzpah. That team played as hard as anybody in the league and would find ways to win even when they had injuries. I mean, how do you not respect that? I know I, without question, respect that sort of toughness and that sort of grit. To have it now with the Knickerbockers, super cool to see. Who's up next?
5: Hey, JJ. got from Hoboken, let's go next. Can we please stop it with the tired Nets takes about their defense and chemistry? Anyone who's watched this team knows that they can play sufficient defense when it matters, especially in the fourth quarter. In particular, the, but who's going to stop Giannis and who's going to stop Embiid takes drive me crazy. Here's a better question. Who's going to stop Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Joe Harris all on the floor at once? That's as elite as it gets offensively. And if you think a team with the combined basketball IQ of these superstars plus Nash and D'Antoni on the bench can't figure out how to play together on the court, you're not paying attention. They've blown a weak Celtics team out of the water so far and will only get better from here. Finally, let's talk about this huge Knicks fan base that you all love so much, the F. Trey Young. Trey Young is balding pamphlets and spitting on him real classy. And please stop it with the F. Brooklyn and we want Brooklyn chance. Talk about delusional. We would sweep you out of the city like we did in the regular season. Please leave us alone with your bitter jealousy and keep dreaming about which superstar might come to your team after winning one playoff game in eight years. Next level.
1: That sounded a little rehearsed, but clearly our last caller came prepared to take a couple of shots at the Knicks. And I got to give him credit for this. If you spit on Trey Young, you should never go to a Knicks game ever again. That's where the lifetime ban at Madison Square Garden is warranted and it's justified because that's classless bullshit. No other way to say it. That's a terrible reflection on any Nick fan. But to make that out to be 99% of Nick fans is also foolish. And it's not seeing and thinking through the bigger picture. I think your point on Brooklyn about the chemistry, so far so good not sold on their defense because you have not answered the question that to me is going to loom over them in a potential Eastern Conference final or in a potential NBA final. If this team's got to match up with either Joel Embiid or they got to match up with Anthony Davis, what's their answer and how are they slowing down that big? I don't have an answer for you. That is my legitimate concern. And that to me is one of the many reasons why Brooklyn, despite all their firepower and despite all their talent, can absolutely be beat. Who's up next?
5: Hey, JJ, it's Jazz from Queens. Again, just wanted to say a big fan of the podcast and uh, just watched the Mets uh, sweep the doubleheader from the Rockies today, who obviously not a great team. But uh, am I crazy to think that I should be feeling pretty good about the Mets in, in first place in the NL East right now? Because, I mean, just looking at their lineup is, is absolutely brutal and uh i mean lindor hasn't really been hitting yet like there's almost nobody on the roster right now who can hit but we're still winning games somehow we're like treading water since all our big guys went down and uh i don't know how should i feel about this should i feel good should i be worried you know come june july but uh yeah i just wanted
1: to
4: hear your thoughts uh thanks man
1: i would say cautiously optimistic that's the way i'd look at it cautiously optimistic They have a laundry list of injuries. Alonzo's out. Conforto's out. McNeil is out. Setback with Syndergaard, which is not ideal. You haven't seen Lugo at all this year. They've had a ton of injuries. Yet, Memorial Day weekend, they're in first place. And I always like to say Memorial Day weekend is the first time you can legitimately take a look at the standings and say, all right, this is where we're at. Doesn't mean that's where you're going to be, but that's the first time you can actually, realistically speaking, kind of gauge and get a sense for where your team is going in a particular year. And the Mets are missing a ton of guys. They beat up on a bad Colorado team. Don't apologize for it. You want three straight, you're in first place, and now the Atlanta Braves come to town. The Mets are 2-1 against Atlanta this year. I've said it all year. If you're going to win this division, you need to beat the Braves head to head. Winning two out of three would be a hell of a weekend. With the team that they currently have assembled, that is a major accomplishment if they beat the Braves two out of three. Two to go. Who's up next?
2: Hey, JJ, Tron from Long Island. Thanks so much for taking the call. Now, it's an awesome body that you did after the next game. Uh, Listen, with the Islanders, a
4: complete
2: madhouse at the Coliseum for game six. Hoping to see more of the same the next round
4: against the Bruins.
2: As far as handicapping it, it was nice in the first round having such a goaltending advantage, and you knew that going in. I don't think the Islanders got that same one this time around against Boston, but they seem to be kind of like a one-line team. You know, they got Taylor Hall at the trade deadline, but that top line, if you shut them down, you know, I think they could be had. So I do expect the Islanders to be underdogs, but I'm hoping. It's a cliche, but I'm hoping to steal one Boston, come back to the Coliseum, because if it's anything like game
4: six, oh, boy,
2: it's going to be something special. So, uh, JJ, let's go Islanders. Let's go Knicks. Let's keep this thing going,
1: baby. Take care. It's a great point about the vibe and the crowd out at the Old Barn, out at Nassau Coliseum. This is going to be the last year at the Coliseum. The fans send the Islanders home. First-round winner against the Pittsburgh Penguins. You beat the Penguins for the second straight year. You overcome the 2-1 deficit. This is going to be a tougher challenge against Boston. Boston was dominant in their series against Washington. I do believe, though, the Islanders are being disrespected in this series. For a team that has a lot of playoff experience, for a team that's won a lot of playoff games, they haven't gotten to a cup final, they haven't won a cup, but they have played a lot of playoff games. I might be taking a stab with the Islanders plus games in this series. I don't know if the Islanders are going to necessarily win this series. Plus games, though, for the Islanders is something I'm thinking long and hard about. I'm going to have to mull that over until game one on Saturday night. Last but not least, who do we got?
2: Gage, John from Long Island. On the Yankee injuries, I personally am not all that concerned about the Corey Kluber injury. It was bound to happen at some point. We got the depth to get us through the innings in the regular season. And as long as Corey can give us five to six quality starts in October, I'm really not all that concerned. I'm way more worried about this Luke Boyd injury. Man, our lineup was already being held together with toothpicks and chewing gum. And him being out with this weird platoon at first base we're probably going to have. And this also probably means we're going to see a lot of Ruggie O'Dor at second base, because DJ will be playing first. And look, Ruggie seems like a fantastic clubhouse guy. Huge pick-me-up dude. But if I have to watch one more of his fucking horrendous at-bats, I might have to scoop my eyeballs out with a teaspoon. Um, So this might get rough for a while. Let me know what you think. Thanks.
1: I agree with you that voice injury is more alarming and is more concerning because the Yankee offense is far more concerning. The Yankees are not scoring runs. This has been a theme all year. We are now at Memorial Day weekend. This lineup stinks. Who has hit for the Yankees so far this year? Aaron Judge has hit. Gio Urshela has hit. Okay, recently Gleyber Torres has hit. And Stanton has hit when he's been in the lineup. He's coming back, thank God. But you never know with him. He could find his way back on the injured list in a month. The Yankees will need to go and add a bat or two at the July 31st trade deadline. And for a whole lot of years, the conversation with the Yankees has been, they got to get pitching, they got to get pitching, they got to get pitching. And I know many of you are going to be tantalized by Max Scherzer if indeed he's available. And I get... What a game changer he would be. And you don't want to see him with Chicago or with Boston or whoever. But let's take Scherzer out of this for a second. And let's say the Nationals are going to keep him. Let's just say that's the scenario. The priority for the Yankees is getting more dynamic on offense. If that's an outfield bat, if that's a bat at first base, Odor is a good clubhouse guy. I like him on the team. He's going to get exposed if he's playing every day. And with Cooper. I'm not concerned if he's missing two months. My concern would be, is he going to be able to get back for big innings and big situations when the Yankees need him? And right now, I don't have the answer to that question. That's my concern. Coming up next, we'll set the stage for a juicy weekend in sports. The great Arthur Caesar from the Link Casino in Vegas. It's going to help us with some of these odds. I am powered, of course, by our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. We combine the FanDuel magic with a little Vegas magic. Art is coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's.
0: Huzzah! A toast to
1: breakfast. So to set the stage for what is going to be a badass Memorial Day weekend, and I don't know if anybody in the Northeast has checked the forecast for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I know a lot of you want to get after it and want to enjoy the Jersey Shore and the Hamptons and the barbecues and all that jazz. The weather is probably not going to cooperate. So it might be a couple of cocktails on the couch watching a whole lot of playoff hoops, a whole lot of playoff hockey, and some baseball. So, to break it down with some serious prices, we're catching up. It's been a while. My long-lost pal from the Link Casino out in Las Vegas, one of the odds makers out there, my main man, Art Caesar. Art, baby!
0: What's happening, bro? J.J., my dude, it's always a pleasure to be back with you talking shop. And uh, what a time of year, man. NHL, NBA playoffs, baseball rolling. This is just a really great time of the year. One of my favorites.
1: Dude, and with the schedules now being pushed back, You know, normally Memorial Day weekend, we're just getting ready for the conference finals. Or I don't know about you. It's kind of nice Memorial Day weekend, and we're in the first round of the NBA playoffs. I like that.
0: I do, too. I'm with you. Listen, anytime you can extend stuff, push back, you know, listen, we're all living in a new world now. Everything's new. Everything's different to us. So I'm all for it. I love it. Like I said, I think, you know, NBA, NHL, MLB kind of gets pushed under the rug sometimes in the gambling, behind the NFL and March Madness. But this is a great time of the year, especially if you love betting sports.
1: Before we get to some of these serious prices, I know here in New York City, the vibe at Madison Square Garden has been off the charts the first couple of games. The city is getting back. The the scene is hopping once again. Is Vegas art all the way back to where it
0: was pre-COVID? You know, JJ, the last couple of weeks, it's been phenomenal. A lot of the, lot of the casinos, including mine and most Caesars properties, You don't have to wear a mask. So you've seen a lot of people walking around, no mask. Uh, You know, our sports books took down, all the plexiglass. It doesn't look like they're standing in line at the bank anymore. It's just, it's great, man. It's really great to see the smiles back and people into it. And, you know, obviously right now, this is a great time of the year for weather in Vegas. So we have phenomenal weather right now. Pools opening. Yes, I don't want to say Vegas is 100% there, but we're 98%, man. And it's really great to see everybody. Just out enjoying the strip, you know, not just the weekends. Weekdays well, are busy, too, so it's great.
1: I like the sound of that. I think a trip is definitely on the horizon the next yes. couple months, hopefully before the start of the football season. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. But let's get down to business, baby. Series price for the Knicks and the Hawks was basically even money at the start of the series. I saw 130 over a FanDuel, jumped to 190, 195, and I got it got to the point where I took the Knicks, I saw him at plus 190 going into game two. I said, there's value there. I'm hopping all over it. Now I see it at minus 150, plus 125, which I think is fair for what it's worth. I think Atlanta's a better team, but the Knicks are tough. They're well coached. And if they could find a way to get one of these two games, they'd regain home court advantage. You think 150 for Atlanta right now is exactly where it should be?
0: It is. And, you know, if we just look at the prices we have it at, we have it at Atlanta minus 140, Knicks plus 115. Listen, you said it. Atlanta did what they had to do. They had to steal a game, right? When you go on the road in the first two, you got to steal a game. So Atlanta did what they had to do game one. I think the Knicks now have to go and try to get one of these games, take back home court. This to me, I think was always a seven game series. So, you know, when I look at it and I just say, hey, if the Knicks can get a game back, you get the plus 115. When we started the series, I remember texting you saying, Hey, Knicks plus 110, you got to be all over that, right? I like the Knicks plus 110 to start the series. You're getting even, you know, better value now. So, you know, hey, this is going to be a back and forth series. And I think it's going to be a seven game series when it's all said and done. And I'm looking at Friday night,
1: Art. 65% of the tickets coming in on Atlanta, but yet 65% of the money coming in on the Knickerbockers. And that line has not moved off of four at all. That to me is a good spot for the Knicks. I like them riding the momentum after what happened on Wednesday, getting the four points. I'm all over that. I know I have them for the series. So that's going to kind of be a direct correlation, if you will. But I like the Knicks plus 195 for the series, which I got right before game two. And I'm taking a plus four on Friday night.
0: Yeah, JJ, you know, when we opened game three, we opened it four and a half. It quickly went to four. It has stayed at four, has not moved. You know, this is an interesting, you know, back and forth between these two teams with the way they go ATS. Knicks are the best ATS team in the whole league atlanta's 23 and 13 ats at home knicks are 23 and 13 ats on the road so go figure right both teams do well against the spread no matter where they're at i think four points is too many even though you know game two was a blowout it was tight basically until atlanta couldn't hit a shot so these are gonna be bucket two bucket games so i think four points is way too much
1: or and i thought it was a great opportunity to hop on the clippers after game one they were like minus 400 for the series went down to 160, and I should have waited a game, quite frankly. Because now you could get the Clippers at a really juicy price down 0-2 against the Mavericks. But I can't trust that team, Art. After losing game two, they've had no answer for Luka. And if you look at the line for Friday night, open Clippers minus one. Now Dallas is favored by two and a half points. I get the sense the Sharps kind of know something there
0: with that sort of line movement. Is that crazy? I totally agree. And, you know, you said it. If you want the Clippers now, we got the Clippers plus 220 to win the series. I don't know how you can lay $1 on the Clippers. The Clippers, since they've been this Paul George, Kawhi Leonard team, they've shown you nothing. They were terrible last year. They really blew it. And listen, I get it. Luca is one of the two, three, four best players in the league. You even saw a report where Carlisle said, Rondo's calling out all our plays. It doesn't matter. You know, they have no answer for Luca. I don't know. The Clippers are just a weird team. I wouldn't put a dollar on the Clippers. And I agree. When you see a line movement like that, a three-point line movement, you would think the Sharps know something. You know the public's going to be on the Clippers. They're just going to be. They're going to be on the Clippers because they're going to say, wow, this is one of the, quote-unquote, best teams in the league. Now they're getting points. Take them on the money line. I'm with you. I think if you take Dallas or you just stay away.
1: As we move forward in the Eastern Conference, Brooklyn's the favorite not only to win the conference, they're the favorite at this point in time to win the title. I'm trying to figure out Milwaukee, Philadelphia. Who's got a better chance to beat them? I'm invested Philadelphia preseason. I am not invested in Milwaukee preseason. So uh, I guess it's a good thing that I have the Sixers. And I think they have a much easier road, of course, to the Eastern Conference Finals. But if you're talking from a value standpoint, Art, who do you think is a better title bet?
0: Milwaukee, Philadelphia? You know what, JJ? The last time I was on with you, we talked right before the playoffs. I thought the Sixers going in the playoffs at 12 to one was a good value. They're actually sitting right now for us at seven to one compared to the Bucs at plus 550, five and a half to one. I think you said it. The Sixers have an easier road. They're going to fly right through the Wizards. They're going to get the you know, the Nick Hawks winner, whereas the Bucs are going to have to go through the next and then and then go through the Sixers. So if they were to beat the Nets, obviously. So to me, it's the Sixers. The Sixers have better value. They have a lower value than the Bucks. And listen, I understand the Bucks have looked good these first couple of games, but to me, it's the Sixers because of Embiid, because of their easy road. And, you know, the Nets are going to have no answer for Embiid. So yeah, the Nets will be favored in the series and they should be favored. I think the better value between Bucks and Sixers is the Bucks. i am got to admit, Sixers. dude,
1: Sixers. I was totally off base. Totally off base with Milwaukee here in this series. I thought they would win. Don't get me wrong. I thought they would win art, but the ease in which they have won this series, it's kind of like they're giving a big fat FU to Miami after what happened last year.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, and I, I listen, Miami cute story last year, bubble basketball, baby. I mean, Miami just kind of, you know, they rode that wave last year. They got to the finals. Obviously, they lose the finals. And listen. The Bucs in the last couple of years have had, you know, one of the best one, two, three records in all of the league. They obviously have a two time defending MVP. You know, I, I understand that people lost a little bit the shine kind of came off of Milwaukee, but Milwaukee is showing you right now, when they kind of play at that top tier, they're just better than Miami. They're probably one of the four or five best teams in the league because of the player that they have and the style that they play. And yeah, I mean, I think Miami is just kind of, they probably peaked last year. And, you know, I, I think seeing Bucks next in the second round is going to be a lot of fun.
1: Moving to the NHL, obviously a lot of interested folks around here with the Islanders. They get past Pittsburgh, catch that ticket in the first round. We gave that out with our buddy Mike Carver. Second round, order, I thought this series would be Boston minus 170, Boston minus 180. You surprised the Bruins juice to minus 235,
0: 240? You know what? I don't. I, I, I look at it like this. It's probably a little high, but Boston is an underrated team. Boston played so well at the beginning of the year. First 25, 30 games of the NHL season. They're one of the best teams in the league. They kind of fell off a little bit. Listen, they took, they took. Their game one loss against the Capitals, and then basically just swept the Capitals out of the building. I mean, Boston is good. Listen, give the Islanders all the credit in the world, what they did. Phenomenal series. I think Boston should be favored, basically a two-to-one favorite. But all these NHL series, it's does the goaltender get hot? Can you, you know, convert your power plays? It's just always that way in the NHL. So anything can happen in these series. I would obviously lean to Boston, but you just never know. What do you guys have more liability? Vegas to win the Cup, Lakers to win the title? Oh, that's a great question, JJ. Obviously, us being in Vegas with the hometown team, Knights are just, you know, I mean, everyone is night crazy man. Everyone's got night license plates, bumper stickers, hats, T-shirts. I mean, it's crazy here. I would say the Lakers slightly because we're just always... You know, the Lakers are a national brand. So people come from all over the country. Well, and it's so close, dude. You know, it's a
1: hop, skip and a jump from LA to Vegas. I know our buddy Simmons does it all the time for soccer. So it's like, you think about a guy like that and then you think about gamblers, you know, you get on a flight, Mm -hmm. you're there in an hour, drive, you're there in four hours. So uh, I'm sure a lot of La La Land has made their way to your books and has thrown a few
0: tickets down. Uh, I could see that. It is. I mean, you also got to factor in, listen, love the NHL, but the NBA is more popular. You're gonna get more NBA bets than NHL bets, and like I said, the Lakers. There are Laker fans in Idaho, New York, Florida. They're everywhere. Vegas fans are, you know, we have our little pocket. You know, some people maybe in you know Arizona, California, who never had a hockey team might have picked up the Knights, but the Knight pocket is really just here in Nevada. Whereas Laker fans are all over the world, and the NBA is just bet more than the NHL.
1: Final one, dude. Baseball and the lack of offense that we have seen in these games it's crazy uh i haven't followed totals you know it's not something i normally bet but you look at some of these batting averages and you look at some of these you know just overall standpoint of run production it's awful have unders been a cash cow for people or have the books kind of caught on to the idea that nobody's scoring runs
0: yeah i mean i think at this point in the season we've kind of adjusted our numbers listen it, it's like any sport the the public wants to take overs the sharp wants the sharps want to take unders that's every sport no matter what sport you're talking about you know i think you said it 24 25 of the league is basically striking out so i mean you have 25 percent of every at bat in this league is a strikeout so that's an insane number that probably won't change because it's just three outcome baseball now but yeah we've adjusted a little bit on our totals but once again the public's still going to bet the overs because the public is not one. They don't want to root for the 2 1 game. The Sharps love it. They're still going to take the unders. Hey, look at our Yankees. The Yankees have been a great under. Their numbers are always high. They always have totals eight and a half, nine, nine and a half. They've been cashing unders left and right. So, a team traditionally that you would think is an over in the Yankees has actually been a really good under.
1: Uh, especially with the Yankees starting pitching being as good as it's been. And thankfully, everything okay with Raldis Chapman, just a little under the weather. Now, (laughs) before we say goodbye, Art, you got to send the people out with a winner. So I give you the card for Friday. It could be the Golden Knights. It could be the Knickerbockers. It could be Brooklyn. I give you the
0: card for Friday. You got a winning play for me? You got a winning ticket? I need it. You know what I'm going to do, JJ? I'm going to give you something that I saw today, and I love this stat, and I think it's a great stat. Since 2005 in the NBA, when a team is down 0 2 and they come home, they're 90, 49, and 2 ATS, that is 65% in the first half. I'm going to take Celtics plus three and a half first half against the Nets. I like that
1: because maybe they give them a good fight for the first half and then completely run out of gas in the second half. It's a family Ex- play. Of exactly. course, I'm getting involved, even though I don't think the Celtics <laughs> are going to win the game. They don't have to. All they got to do exactly. is cover that first half, baby. Exactly. Art, you know it, man. Don't be a stranger to New York, New York, and we'll probably talk before I make my way out to Vegas. Hopefully, we talk before I make my way out to Vegas,
0: okay? Absolutely, my dude, always. And listen, man, we've been saying this for months, years, that you know, as long as we've been talking, I cannot wait for you to come out here, man. O'Shea's, Late Night, everything, the craps table, a few cocktails. They all got our name on it, my man. So I am very excited. And we will obviously talk before you make that move out here, my friend. It's all happening. That's Arthur Caesar over at the Link Sportsbook.
1: Always bringing the heat. Always bringing the fire. And Celtics, plus three and a half in the first half. Yeah, got to make it a family play. Why the hell not? So before we say goodbye, we got to give you some picks for the weekend. We've got to check in with the great Jeff Money. Let's see what's on his card for the weekend.
4: What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a Handicapper Pick. This is going to be for Friday the 28th and Saturday the 29th, both in the NBA. uh, One game each for each day. So start out for tomorrow, the 28th, Friday. I like the New York Knicks plus the five over the Atlanta Hawks. Now, the New York Knicks won both meetings in Atlanta as an underdog. So that makes me feel like they're going to keep it close. And it's been close, their battle, so why not? You've got to take the four points there. You've got to go with the underdog. So give me the Knicks plus the four in that game on Friday. On Saturday, I'm going to take the Memphis Grizzlies plus the five over the Utah Jazz. I think they'll keep it close. I don't know if they're going to win, but I just really feel at home they're going to keep the game close with the five points. So give me the five points with the Grizzlies. Again, for Friday the 28th, I'm going to take the Knicks plus the four. And for Saturday the 29th, I'm going to take the Grizzlies plus the five. All right, J.J., I'm out of here. Let's go.
1: All right, all right, all right, Jeff Money. I love when we got a family play to say goodbye. Knicks plus four will absolutely be a family play. I like the logic with Memphis. I want to give it another day to marinate, so I'm not going to make it an official play. If I like it, I will definitely tweet it out, folks. You don't have to worry about that. I will definitely tweet it out. I also like Dallas. Even though I hopped on that Clippers series price, that line going from Clippers minus one to now Dallas minus two and a half, with a whole lot of tickets and a whole lot of money coming in on the Clippers, and you get that reverse movement, I think is rather telling. I also like the Golden Knights, hopefully, to cash my series price. I'm sweating that one out. Remember, I have it at even money, so I won't be laying 180. I'll be hoping and praying that at even money, Vegas can advance past Minnesota. So, Knicks plus the points, Dallas laying the points. Going to think about Mo over Memphis for Saturday and big believers in my adopted hometown, Vegas, Golden Knights. Those are the plays for the weekend. Here's what we're going to do this weekend. Friday, live locker room, right after Knicks Hawks, right after game three. Remember, you can call. You can call by downloading the app, requesting to speak, and you and I shoot the shit and we make magic. So live locker room show immediately after game three, Knicks Hawks. Sunday, we're doing two pods. We're splitting it up. We're going to do an early pod right after the Knicks game. Game four is at one o'clock. Yankee game, I think they play in the afternoon. And then we're going to come back at night because the Nets play at night and the Mets play at night. So we are splitting the baby in half on Sunday. So get the voicemails in early. And then we'll circle back and do some more late. So two pods on Sunday. Day-night doubleheader for yours truly. Friday, we got a live locker room show. So no days off around here. What do you think this is? Spotify, Ringer, Simmons, they're paying me to work. So we're going to do a whole lot of work this weekend. Locker room show Friday. Sunday, two pods for the price of one. Enjoy your Memorial Day weekend, everybody. Stay safe. Hope the beers are on ice. JJ out. Be good.